Praise the Lord. You can take your seat this morning. As you know, we are studying through the letter of John, the letter of John, and we are now continuing into the next verses. I'm going to talk today about verse 15 to 17, and this is going to be really interesting. In fact, there is so much to preach about this, this what we're going to hear today that I've broken it up in two Sundays. We're not in a hurry, are we? Are you? We're not going to rush through this letter. We, we take it slow and surely. Have you learned anything in the time that we started with the letters of John? Who? Anyone? Anyone? Can I see? Yes, praise the Lord. We need to go back. This, this is life-changing messages. Not because I preach them. It's the Word. And the Word should be life-changing. So we see now, John is going to come to one of two things. One of two things which is going to be against you as a child of God. In fact, there's three things. If you go to the book of Ephesians, it talks that in chapter 2, and in chapter 2 he says, the world is against you. Who knows that? The world is against you. And we're going to talk a lot about the world today. Secondly, he says, the prince of the power of air is against you. Who's that? Satan. Who knows that Satan is against you? The Bible says he walks around, around like a roaring lion. Have you seen the roaring lion? Man, I've been in Africa. I'm a South African. Okay? I'm a South African man and I came from Africa and I've heard at night time a fully grown male lion. If that thing starts to growl, it goes through your body. Fear packs a hold of you and you go, I don't want to be in ease. I don't want to mess with that little cat. That's how it works. And he is like that. He walks around prowling. He prowls. He prowls. He comes around. He's seeing where he can, he can just pull you back, oppress you, depress you, whatever he wants to do. All the presses he wants to do. And that is the devil against you. And then in that particular place he says the third one that's against you is your flesh. Your fleshly desires. The Bible talks about that a lot. But today we're going to see it from a different angle. We're going to see how John addresses this. And remember, John gives us some tests. You remember? He says we need to walk in the light because Christ and God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. Have you walked in the last week in the light? Have you? You see, there's no gray areas for God. The world is trying to introduce to you gray areas these days. There's none gray areas. It's either God or it is Lucifer, Satan. There's two kinds of people in the world. Not South African, Indian, Australian, Mexican. Not all of those. It's sons of God and disobedient children. Those are the two. And uh, he comes and he says, and then there's a lot of things he says. You say you're going to do things and you don't. And then he comes to the test of love. Who remembers the test of love? He who says that he loves and he hates his brother is telling a lie. You're telling a lie. And we're at the test of love. And then he continues on. And now today we're going to look at another test. But this is also against him. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. If you're following your Bible, if you would. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Selah. What does that mean? Pause. Think. Do not love the world, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And you say, Amen. 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 You see, this is one of the biggest problems in our world today. This year is the attack against the church. Because we have the Spirit of God in the church. We are supposed to have the Spirit of God in the church. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit just living in us. But when we come to the church and if I preach from the pulpit and my brothers preach from the table and you come up and do a testimony, everything needs to be about Him, about Christ. But the problem these days is, is that the Spirit of the world, the Spirit of this world has entered into the church. And it makes the church weak and it makes the church asleep. I'm telling you today, the Western church is sleeping. You're sitting here and you're looking at me and you say, we are not sleeping. I know, because we preach the word in spirit and truth. But if you look at the, if you look at the church in general, it's sleeping because they love the world. How many times have you heard churches and said, we need to adapt to the world to attract the world? Yeah? You know, we need to do the things of the world. We need to start to look like the world so that the world can like us and trust us. And once we, once we got them in, now we're going to preach the gospel. Jesus Christ never said that we need to preach the gospel under any pretense. No pretenses here. And this is why this is such a serious message. But Mark, we've had a lot of serious messages the last five weeks, haven't we? I'm surprised we still see the church full. <laughs> Some churches are afraid to preach these messages because they want the pews full. I'm not afraid. If I said it before and I say it again. You vote with your feet. Amen? I'm not going to hold you here. I'm not going to drag you like a crocodile. I preach the word of God and you listen to the word of God and the word of God will change your heart and your life and he will give you peace and rest. Amen? Now I want to talk to you today about unveiling the deception unveiling the deception there's two parts of this but today i want to talk about the dangers of loving the world the dangers what is the dangers and and in fact i want to i want to unveil the deceptor who's giving deception you know what i'm talking about the deceptor is who it's satan himself he sits behind every single thing that's going on people are just manifesting what he wants them to do and the biggest target is the children of god he can't do nothing against christ anymore where's christ he's in heaven and he, can't, and, he, and he will not die again he, he died once and for all for our sins He's not going to die again. He's not coming back again to die. So Lucifer knows he's lost that one. But now he's after you and me. Let it be clear he's after you and me. Because Jesus said if, if, if he's after me, Jesus, he will also be after you. He said to Peter one day, he said, Peter, Peter. And Lucifer came, the devil came, and he asked of me to sift you. Do you think it only stuck with Peter? No, no, it's stuck with all of us. Amen. But what did Jesus say? I will pray for you. Amen. Isn't it wonderful that he intercedes for us today? Isn't it wonderful? 
Do you still think about that? Do you still thank Him for that? This morning when you got out of bed, did you say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've interceded for me this whole night, this whole day. You could have been sleeping and the devil or one of his agencies before God and says, You see that child of you, let's test him. And there he was sleeping so sweet and sound. <gasps> While all of these things happening, watch out because there is a battle going on. Now, I better come back to the message. You see, I want to remind you in all of this. Why is he giving us these tests, John? Why? I mean, for the last five weeks, if you've been in church and if you've missed it, it's online. Go and listen. Why did he give us? Never forget, never forget that he writes with purpose. And this is the key of the letter. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says these things. Everybody say these things. What things is he talking about? What we're hearing today. Yes. These things. The test about love. The test about light and darkness. The test today against not loving the world. He writes all these things for this purpose. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who believes in that name? Is it you this morning? Then he's writing this for you. This is not now for anybody else. It's for you. He says to you, Michael, there at the back, he says, these things I've written to you, Michael. How wonderful is that? Do you love that? It is fantastic. To you, David, he wrote these things for you today, every single one. And he says, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know. Everybody say, may know. May know what, John? He says that you have eternal life. Would you believe there are still people in the church who call themselves Christians and you ask them, when you die today, will you go to heaven? And they go, oh, I'm not sure. If you are not sure today, brother and sister, go on your knees, pray to God, call out to Him. He will come to you. He says it here, there's a certainty that you may know that you have eternal life. How would I know all of these things, John? Tell me one more time. Well, we've looked at all of these tests that you went through from verse 1 and chapter 1. You remember when I told you I've met the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus, because other fake Jesus is going to come into this world, but, but I've met the real Jesus. That is the first few verses in chapter 1. And all of these tests, he says, this is the things that you may know, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So today he says to us, do not love the world or the things in the world. Who knows this man, Thomas Jefferson, who knows him? Thomas, Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. And he was the third president. Well, they walk into his office one day, and there is Thomas Jefferson with one of a blade, a shaving blade. And he had a Bible there, and he's busy taking the blade, and he cuts out pieces out of the Bible. And they said to him, Thomas, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making my own Bible. You see, what he's doing is he was actually cutting out the pieces that he liked and the pieces that he didn't like. He actually started cutting them out. 
And he, he actually made his own Bible, and it is there. You can go and search for it. It is the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, every place he started to cut Jesus out of the real Bible, every place where he comes and he says, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this verse, he starts cutting it out, and then he made his own Bible. Now, why are we not following that Bible? Because it's not the true Bible. It, it reminded me, you know, in South Africa when I uh, became a pastor, and we are trainee pastors, okay? And we're in a big church, and, and one of the other trainee pastors came one day into the church, and he took a Bible and he says, open up at this verse. And this verse was a very hard verse. He says, you know, the Bible says you need to do that, but you don't do it. And he literally took the Bible page and he tore it out and he threw it onto the floor. He says, if you don't do it, why is it in your Bible? And he went to another passage. He says, open up there. And he starts ripping out pages out of the Bible. Literally. In front of all of us. And you know, somebody would say blasphemy. And he's ripped another one and ripped another one. And two po before long, that Bible became very small. He goes, this is your Bible. This is what you want. Because the Bible says do all of these things. But you don't want it in your Bible. Because if you want it in your Bible, you will do them. Oh man, there's a lot of people who was really mad at him. Really mad at him. Why would you tear up the Bible? Well, he, he made a fake Bible. It was actually just plain pages. But the message came through. The message came through. Now, we look at this man, Jefferson, and say, Jefferson, why would you be so foolish to come to the written word of God and start ripping pages out and cutting them out? And, and we might be really mad for this pastor who did it in South Africa, but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we do the same thing. We do. You and I do. You know, we might be harsh. We might come to and say, why would you do that? But we do the same thing. You see, we come to passages sometimes and so often, and we don't like these certain parts in the Bible, and we skip those verses over. You might as well take a razor blade and cut it out. Well, scissors these days. You might as well do that. You know, we come to passages and it really eats you. And then you get, you get mad at the pastor. You get mad at everybody who tells you that. But it's the truth, and you don't want to hear the truth. We do the same. We cut out passages out of the Bible. And you see, if we do that, we are losing the message of the Bible. We are losing it totally. You see, this is only 11 words, is it? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's only 11 words in your Bible. But so many people, you don't hear a lot of sermons about this. You don't hear a lot of sermons. I wonder in your Bible if you've got this verse underlined. I wonder if you take this verse and put it in a little text and put it in your pocket and meditate the whole day about it. No, you won't find this because a lot of Christians just want to have the feel-good scriptures, isn't it? When you are down and you are depressed and everything, where do you go? You say, oh Lord, I need some encouragement. And then you look for the what? The feel-good verses in the Bible. I mean, you can go and Google and say, which is the most sought-after verses in the Bible? And I'll tell you what, it will be encouraging verses. How can I encourage? I want to be encouraged and all of this. But let me tell you, it's like a coin. It's got two sides. You need to read these verses and study them. The church is very quiet today. There's not a hand clap on this, what I'm saying now, is there? But it's so true. We need to stay with that. 
You know, we don't hear a lot of sermons like I said. And you know, when you start preaching about these things, people will start running out and not come back to a church like this. And why is this? Why am I so talking about these 11 words? Because it's a serious matter. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, Jesus himself says, No one can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't. Who knows what's mammon? It's money. It's the God of money. It's serious that even Jesus says that you can't serve the world and you can't serve him. You see, and then there's another one. If we, if we think about James, is James up there? James writes the same thing. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, adulteresses, you know where I'm going. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I wonder if this verse is actually underlined in your Bible. As one of those verses that you really want to study in. You see, people don't want to hear this. Because there's a lot of this going on, but they don't know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. Do you want to be an enemy of God? Let me tell you something. You will not win against God. And this is a serious matter. You know, we need to understand why if Jesus says you can't have these two masters, we need to look at our lifestyle. If we see, are we trying to make friends with the world? Now, it doesn't say we go out and fight the world. You know, a military Christian. No, it doesn't say that. But look at Paul. He writes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 the same thing. He says, for many walk. Everybody say many. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. I go and I say, what made you weep, Paul? Do you know what weeping is? It's not just shedding a tear. It is absolutely crying with agony. He says, I'm in agony for you, for the people in Philippi, Philippi for the people in Karim Downs, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. There's no victory if you're against Christ, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Do not become a friend of the world. I think the message is clear. That's only an introduction though. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do when we see verses like that? We should ask the question and say, what does this mean for a Christian then? What does it mean for me who's sitting here today? Does it mean I, I'm not allowed to watch TV anymore? You know, back in the day, I remember in the Pentecostal days in South Africa, if you became an elder or a, a worker in the church, the pastors would go around and they come to your house and you, you're not allowed to have a TV in your house. Is this what it means? Is it about iPads? Is it about your mobile phones? What about Facebook and TikTok? Does, does that mean, I, I mean, I know the young people are looking at me and go, you know, you're in your 50s, man. What are you talking about? This is our gen. Is, is it gen? Our gen. TikTok. What, what do you know about TikTok? Does it mean I can't go on TikTok? Does it, what does this all mean for us? What about TV shows? 
You know, I get so many people, they say, oh, we watch that TV show, and when it comes to the, to the sex scenes, we just fast-forwarded it. Or once they swear a little bit, I tell my children, close your ears. Or if my children are sitting in the room when we watch these shows, and it is very explicit and naked scenes and everything, we tell them, close your eyes. We are actually priming them to go into that if we do that. If that is one of your practices today, stop it, okay? Who, who told you to stop it? Well, well, if you want it, the pastor of this church tell you to stop it. Because you are priming your children for that. Why should I keep my eyes closed, mommy, daddy, when you can watch stuff? Which we should not watch. Wow. If you're offended this morning by that, praise the Lord. What about these shows, you know? We fast forward these things. What about the violence that comes through those TVs and so on? And, and what about this, you know? You know, may I have a nice car? That's part of the world, isn't it? What about a house? What about money? You know, this is a question that a lot of Christians has got problems with, and that's why they walk away from these verses. Because, you know, now you're talking about my net worth. Let me tell you something about your net worth. Your net worth when you're a child of God is donuts, nothing. You've got nothing. Amen. Amen. Oh, you don't know what I've got. I've got investment properties all over the place. They do not belong to you if you're a child of God. They belong to God. You're only but looking after it. And, and here is the thing. If you sit here today and say, well, you don't know me. My net worth is a million dollars and so on. I'm telling you, if my net worth is $10, you've got more responsibility with your $10 million than my $10. Because every, listen, listen to me. If you listen online and everywhere you are, every single cent you spent as a child of God will be on God's record books before you. Oh, he's after my money. No. Go listen to all my sermons for the last 30 years. I'm not after your money. Keep it. I don't want your money. Because if you give me your money, then that responsibility comes on to me. I don't want your money. Keep it. I don't even preach tithing in this church because tithing is Old Testament. It's giving everything you've got. In the Old Testament, you had to give 10% of everything you've got. Churches are still going after that. Religiously, you've got to pay your tithing. They will send you reminders and all of these things. And I'm telling you, they are walking in error. I don't know. I don't care who they are. They can say, I'm, I don't know my Bible, and that's what's happened. I know this Bible. I've studied it. And I'm telling you that in the New Testament, not 10% of you, everything belongs to God. You ain't to keep anything. You can still drive your nice car. You can still live in your house, but see it as a privilege from God, not a right. Wow, I don't know why we went there. <laughs> but that's important then. So what does it mean? Do not love the world. Let's open it up and see what John is getting at here. Is it, are you okay? I was going to do it anyway. I love the word of God. He says, do not love the world. Let's just quickly look at the world here. World here is the Greek word cosmos. And you know, Mark, I love the word Greek. So cosmos here has got three meanings to it. One is nature. It's what you see out there. It is everything that God made. And God said in Genesis, it is perfect. So he's not telling you not to love nature. That's not what he's saying. And the second thing is the cosmos there is humanity in it. When he talks about the world, we're talking about the population of the world. And I know for a fact that God loves people because he sent his son. Who can tell me where is that verse? John 3.16. 3, 
For God so loved the world. When he, when he used the word world there in John chapter 3.16, he was talking about what? People. He didn't send his son to die for that tree out there, did he? Hey, you know, global warming, let me send my son. The oceans is getting uh, polluted, let me send my son. Trees are being chopped down and it's, 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 you know, the polar bears, whatever. Let me send my son. Is that what he did? No, no, no. He looked at this world and he saw the lost state of your soul and that's why he sent his son. And, and listen, not for the animals. He didn't see the cows and moo, let me send my son. No, no. He sent it for you and for me. And can you say praise God for that? Can you give him a hand this morning? Can you give the Lord a hand this morning? Amen. But he's not talking about that when he says do not love the world. He's talking about the third one here. The rebellious and sinful humanity. The anti-God. That's what he's talking about. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to explain this to you. Because you see it every single day. You are living in it every single day. When you get up in the morning and you drive and you listen to the radio, you're in it. When you look at the billboards, you're in it. When you turn on your telly and you watch your shows, you're in it. When you go everywhere, even when you go to McDonald's, you're in it. This is the world. And it started at the Tower of Babel. That's where it started. In fact, it started way before that with Lucifer. But when God came and he, sh he moved him out, at t the Tower of Babel is one of those places where every single false religion was born at the Tower of Babel. Everyone. Hinduism, Buddhism, Ichuism, whatever isms there is. They all come from the Tower of Babel. So what is the message of the Tower of Babel? It is that man wanted to get peace. Everybody say peace. And happiness. Everybody say happiness. Without God. And that is the world I'm talking about. People are going to liquor, to booze, to get what? To get peace and happiness. They run into trouble. The bosses cross with them. They get depressed. Where do they run to? To the bottle. Why? Because they want to forget about these things. I want to become tippy. When I become tippy, then I'm at peace. And then, but they don't realize that it damages and destroys your body. Some people go to drugs, to tobacco, to every single thing. You say, oh, there he's going to preach now against those things. I say, no, no, no. I'm telling you the world that you are living in. And this world is not only in you. Let me tell you now, if you think you had it hard as a child, I have got three generations under me. I've got my children and I've got grandchildren. And let me tell you today, it is so severely intense for those little ones. They even want to make boys girls now. I won't go there now. That's not... Okay, so, so it goes from Babel where man wanted to have peace and happiness without God. That's the world that he's talking about. He says, do not love the world which is going on their own accord trying to find peace and happiness. You see, when you and I were born, when we were born, there were an emptiness inside of us. And that emptiness is crying out for what? For God. But we rebel against God. Everything in the nature of a man that's born rebels against God. He says, do not love the world. We all understand what world he's talking about now, everybody. Now let's move to the next word. He talks about love. He says, do not, everybody say it. 
love. So here is where the English language is so poor. Okay? My, my, my language is Afrikaans. You say I'm giving English language a beating. Yes, I am when it comes to the Bible. Because English is a translation to both. The real one is Greek, yes? And you know I love Greek. I can't speak it. I haven't studied it, but the Lord helped me. Let's look at this. In Greek, there's many words for love. Did you know that? Many words. I'm not going to use them all. I'll just quickly talk through these. The word here is agapo, agape love. Agape love means it's a sacrificial love. And this is God. This is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you. He sacrificed himself for you. And then he goes on, they torch, which is an unconditional family love. That's the love you've got towards your family. It's unconditional. I mean, you love your family. Whether, you know, your family can do you in, but you still love them. You won't talk to them, maybe, for years, and you can have all these stories, but they are still family. Am I right? They're still family. That's right. You can't choose your family. That's right. But that's the kind of love. When they talk about it, this is why I love. You see, they are so rich. Then you've got filial love, which is an affectionate love. It is a friendly love. We find the church in the book of Revelation called in Philip. Philadelphia, that means brotherly love. And then we've got Eros love, which is a romantic and a passionate love. What you see in the world, they've put Eros love at the top. This is where you get all of your pornography going on, which hooks men and women these days, which is one of the biggest evils out of the pit of hell. And if you conduct anyone who hears my voice now, I want to warn you, I want to ask you, ask God to free you of that filth. Wow, he's cross today, I'm not. I'm just serious. But this is the love. Eros love. You know, when you turn on, this is what they put in the movies to attract people. You get all of these scenes and you get Hollywood. You know, it's, it's so amazing. Hollywood, now they come and they stand in front of the pulpit and marry somebody. Six months, it's somebody else. They're making it cheap. God's love is not cheap. But this is where God operates in. Agape love. You want to know what that word is there? It is agape love. He says, do not agape love the world. Now let me read the verse for you then. You know, if, if we look at this verse there, this word here is sacrifice. And we've learned two weeks ago, love is a? Come on, say it. Come on, say it. It's a decision. Love is not an emotion. So the world is after you to make a decision to love them. All the advertisements at you, everything that cries for your children is an advertisement to give your love to the world. But what love is he talking about? He's talking about a sacrificial love here. Now, sacrificial love expresses itself in three ways. In time, in attention, and in expense. Ask me. Ask me. I was a student one day. I worked really hard on the mines in South Africa uh, to fund my studying. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a qualified teacher. My parents couldn't pay. My dad couldn't pay my fee. I had to work for it. Children these days get it too easy. Hey, Sean, they just get it, Shane, they just get it too easy. So I had to work really hard, and I did. I put in shifts there, and I started working there, and, and I get, got good money. But I'm a student, so I'm paying some of my fees. I'm paying, and, and then I met a beautiful girlfriend. <laughs> She's now my wife, by the way. 
And you guess, man, that costs money. <laughs> so I decided this beautiful girl, I'm going to love her. And what happened? I started spending time with her. That's what you do with something that you know. don't say to my wife. I say something. She's not a something. Let me just correct this. She's going to watch this. I'm in trouble. This is what you do when you love somebody. Or if you love, you spend time with it. And then you know what this beautiful girlfriend wanted from me? My attention. Isn't that a beautiful love story? Your attention. I mean, you need to spend time, but when you are there, you need to be there and not everywhere. You know what I'm talking. And then, well, that was the big one, isn't it? <laughs> you know, when I was a student, man, girlfriend cost a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but I wanted to impress. <laughs> hey, Lydia, if I could have just gone the natural way, that would be fine. But if you want to, you know, if you want to impress, then you start to spend more money. You see, your money, this is what you will pay. You will pay for what you love. You see this? You, you, are, you know what I'm talking about. You pay for what you love. You know, I get to somebody and they, they pay something like $30,000 for a, a, a bicycle. Hey, John, how much is those things costing? Those push bikes, which... Yep. And I look at that and I go, why would somebody spend so much money on a bicycle, a push bike? I can buy one at, at, at Kmart for, for something like 300 bucks and they spend $10,000 on this thing. But here it is. I mean, I do play golf and I did spend a little bit of money on my golf clubs. I mean, I, I repent. But here we go. He says, your money you will pay for what you love. But let me read this verse for you now and I hope it makes sense to you. He says... Do not sacrifice yourself to the world. Do not sacrifice your time to the world. Do not sacrifice your attention for the world and the things of the world. Do not sacrifice your expenses for the world and the things of the world. Is that clear? You see, love is just that. Now, it does not say that we are forbidden to go into the world. Have you noticed? You get so many people now and they start preaching in the church and say, oh, you're not allowed this, you're not allowed the TV, you're not allowed an iPad, you're not allowed to... No, 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 no. Jesus said we are in the world, but not of the... He was talking about this world, by the way. He was talking about humanity, and he was talking about this that is against him. He says, no, no, we, are, we can go into the world, but we are forbidden to love the world. How do you do that? That is really interesting, isn't it? It's a good thing to know. Look at Jesus. He says, Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from whom? The evil one. This is the big one here. This is the deception here. He says, Father, protect them from this one, the roaring lion. Protect them from him. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Everybody say sanctify. What does that word sanctify means? There's a lot of answers coming through. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it means. There's two answers to this word sanctify. One is holiness. That's the word. Make them holy. How do you make them holy? By your truth. Your word is truth. When you start reading the Bible, you're not becoming more holy. I just want to correct that as well. But sanctify means you set them apart. It means you separate them. 
You separate them. With what? With your word, which is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. Now let's see how this works, okay? I've got 10 minutes. And if I'm not going to finish it, we will continue next week. Is that okay? I think we've already learned a lot of things today, didn't we? He says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. There's words that jumps out of me when I read the Bible. It just jumps out at me. And then I start studying them. The words that came out straight away is love and lust. You see those two? They are opposites of each other. The love of the Father is not in them. The lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes. I'm going to give you two definitions here now for those words, okay? The definition for lust is to satisfy self at the expense of others. Are you seeing a lot of that in the world? The world is just arrived. That's the world we are living in. To satisfy self at the expense of others. It breaks my heart when I see lust in families. You know where two come together and they say, I'll give 50 and you give 50 and we'll have a good marriage. That's 100%, isn't it? Here's the man. Here's, here's the woman. She says, I'm going to give 50% to the marriage and he's going to give 50% to the marriage. That makes 100, isn't it? It doesn't work that way. That's lust. That's lust. And I'm not talking about sexual lust here. I'm talking about satisfying self at the expense of others. Why? If you still hold on to that 50%, which is the boy's night and the girl's night and whatever you do, you know, it's not part of the, then you are not conditionally loving. You're not agapo. There's some marriage counseling today as well, isn't it? Gee, we're touching a lot of things today, Alison. But this is it here now. Now, that is the definition for lust, is to satisfy self at the expense of others. The definition for love is to satisfy others at the expense of self. This is why these words jumped at me. So what did God do? For God sent His only begotten Son at His expense. Isn't it right? For Philippians chapter 2, for Jesus, who, who was in the form of God, came and he took on the form of a what? Of a bond servant at his expense. You see, brothers and sisters, even if we stop now, but listen to me clearly today. When we come to Christ, we're a new creation. It's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. Now, now listen to me. We're still in this body. Like Paul says, oh wretched man that I am, who, who will save me from this body of sin. But, but we are walking in this world, and he's only talking about not loving the world. He says, for if you love the world, the love of the Father is not within you. You see, there's three ways that temptations that Satan use to get to you. There's three categories here. And you'd be amazed to see that Satan, he's not a smart guy. He uses the old trick, and he gets away with it every single time. The old trick. Look at this. The lust of the flesh. This is the desire for physical pleasure and gratification. We all got them in this room. We all, we've got them. If, you, if you've got a body, have you got a body? Can you just put up your hand? 
touch it, touch it with the other hand. Is that a body? That's called flesh, okay? Now I'm going into biology class here. <laughs> yeah, we're touching everything. But that's flesh. We all got them in this place. He says, the lust of the flesh desire. And by the way, if you want to go and do homework, go and read, go and read Ephesians chapter 2. You will find the flesh there. And now he talks about the lust of the eyes, the desire for material possessions. Wow, man. Hey, Sean. Material possessions. We're looking at that smart new car. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> I was young as well. Don't. Oh, look at me, man. I'm still young. But you see something and you desire, you look at it and you go, wow, man. And you, you know, you can see yourself, you can see how you touch that leather steering wheel and you smell, you smell the leather seats, man. So that's the lust of the flesh. And then it's the pride of life, the desire for recognition, status and superiority. We've all got it. We all. We need to suppress that. You see, this is so wonderful if you look at this. You might as well have said, you know, here that Satan sits behind it and he is sitting behind it. It is so, this is where everything goes. Now, let me just show you why I say it's an old trick of Satan. I'm just going to show you this. Everybody knows Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. God came and he spoke to Adam and he says, Adam, thou shalt not eat of that tree. You remember that? And here comes Satan. So the woman, he came to the woman Eve and he says, hey, come on, man. You can eat of that. Did God really say that? He, he attacks God's deity and he attacks the word of God. Still the same today. What's happened there is happened today. He always said, this is why churches don't preach the word anymore. That's the word of God. And some churches don't even mention Jesus' name in the church anymore. I don't know why they're a church anymore. They need to be a club. Or just, a, I, I don't know what. So he says, the woman then, when she saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took off the fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed thick leaves together and make them coverings. You see, there is the three things there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's Satan's method. That, this is what I'm showing you, unveiling the deception. He uses this over and over and over again. I went through the Bible. I'm not going to preach about it. I ran out of time. But if you read through your Bible, you will find these three things in David. You will find these three things in Abraham. You will find it in Jacob. You remember Jacob and Esau? You remember them? What did Esau come? He came one day and he, he was hungry, wasn't he? What did he do? He smelled the food. There's the lust of the flesh. And he came around and he looked at the, oh, they look so beautiful. You can go right through the Bible. And, and you touch every single person. Peter, Peter himself. Peter himself went, went to pride of life. Lord, Lord, I will not forbid that anybody touches you. He pulled out his sword and he cut off another man's ear. Hey, I'm the one. His own disciples come and said, Lord, who is your number one and your number two? They wanted recognition. We all are the same. If those men were in there, who are you to sit here today and say, I'm not? Is this a serious message? Quickly. Jesus in the wilderness. You remember when Satan came to him? That it's the same trick. He said, make, make out of these stones bread. 
He said to him, I take you on the high hole, uh, uh, pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, the angels shall carry you. He took Jesus onto an exceedingly high mountain. He says, if you fall down before me, I will give you all of these things. What did he do? It's the same trick. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the pride of life. It's the same thing. Now, I know it's late on a Sunday. It's just before... It's just before lunchtime, but I want to show you this quickly if it works. Where's the sound? You'll have to look good without sound. It just says, let me try to, and it leaves a lot of napkins behind. It's a burger that even the sesame bun can't contain the burger. The quarter pounder with cheese. <laughs> Did I do well? <laughs> the sound didn't work. I'm, I'm so sorry. Who's, who's going to McDonald's afterwards? But I just showed you the trick of Satan. And, and I just brought it this. Look, I, I'm not going to come and show you the ads that's in the world right now, which is so explicit. This is a church, and I respect God. I just used that one as an example. What did they do? Did it look really nice? I mean, it's juicy, and it fell off, and ah, I'm biting it, man. You, you, know, you, you get it? What, what are they doing, these advertisers? They come after your eyes. It looked so beautiful. Hey, Peter? Hey? It looks so beautiful, a quarter pounder. Hey, if you bite in it, you can actually taste it. That looks like grilled meat. It's not, you can taste a little bit burning of the grill and then, this is what the world is all about. That's what I wanted to show you. That's what I wanted to show. Now, I'm going to stop there for today because we, I want to continue next week. We will continue on with this and I will show you the danger. These stern warnings that the Lord gave us. But I just want to stop there. Have we learned something today? You see, two, one verse, two, three verses. I don't want to just fly over it. No, no, we need to study the Word of God, yeah? In this church, we don't just read it, we study it. You know, I, I already today I've preached for myself, and I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, I love you with the love of the Lord, but I need to talk the truth when I preach from this pulpit. And if you get angry at me, if, if you feel offended, you know, I'm glad you feel offended, because before you come to me and, and beat me up for being offended, Go to on your knees and cry out to God. Because if anything I said today offended you, it means the Holy Spirit is actually talking to you about it. But here is my proof of that. Why is it offending you and not the person next to you? Why? And, and there's a few reasons which we will come to. It may be that that person has truly been a new creation and is walking in this world in the light of God and not in darkness. Or it could be a person sits there and they've got a hardened heart, which it doesn't even bother them. Well, in fact, they won't be in church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, everything I said, I want to just pray, Lord, under your blood. Father, I want to pray it. I know one day, Lord, I will stand before you and give an account of this sermon that I've preached. But Father, I thank you that if we stay to your word, Father, and we call it as it is, Father, through the Holy Spirit, with love, with love, Lord, and with meekness, Father, that you will touch people's hearts. And I pray for our listeners online, Father, who during this week may listen to this. If there's somebody there, Lord, who needs you, Father, just to cry out, and you will, you will draw near to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.